Our offering tonight is for the Middle East Reform Fellowship. God will receive your gifts at this time.
We turn in the celebration hymnal to number 281 as we prepare to hear God's word tonight. Number 281, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. We're going to sing all three verses of 281. Let's stand together as we sing. Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Psalm chapter 2, the second psalm in the Psalter. We'll be reading the 12 verses of this psalm tonight.
Psalm 2, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight, every song that we sang as a congregation, each song the choir sang, and the song the bells just played, all make reference to Jesus Christ as King. We just sang, this, this is Christ the King. He is the newborn King. He is the King of Kings. His kingship is, is part and parcel of his coming at Christmas time. And his kingship is the theme of Psalm 2. This is our second sermon in our series on the Psalms, and I mentioned last week that Psalms 1 and 2 really form the introduction to the Psalter. Psalm 1 tells us what the Psalms are about, and we talked about those two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, the way of blessing and the way of curse, and how that theme weaves itself throughout almost every psalm in the Psalter. I mentioned somewhat in passing that Psalm 2 talks about whom the psalms are about, and said that the psalms were about Jesus, and particularly about his kingship. Children, why would I say that Psalm 2 is about Jesus. We don't read his name in this psalm. This psalm was written years before Jesus would come. In fact, there would be some who would disagree with me when I say Psalm 2 is really about Jesus. They would say, no, the king being referred to is King David, king of God's people. Why do we say that Psalm 2 is a psalm about Christ the King? We talk that way because God 
talks that way. I hope that next to Psalm 2 in your Bibles, uh, you make a note of this text, Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we read in verse 23, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They quote Psalm 2 and go on to say this, For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Acts 4 identifies Jesus as that anointed one chosen by God. We could go further in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, verse 32, we read this. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he, had, he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. It's a reference to Jesus the one who was raised from the dead. We could look also at the book of Hebrews, where Jesus' supremacy is being described in relation to the angels, how he is so far superior to them. And in Hebrews chapter 1, we read this, verse 4, "...having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you." God has not said that to angels, he said it to Jesus. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And just one more text from the book of Hebrews. From Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, we read there, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. God himself in the scriptures says Psalm 2 is about his son, Jesus Christ, his son, the king. We speak that way because God speaks that way. Now, certainly there was a reference to the Davidic kings, but they speak beyond the Davidic kings to that greater son of David, King Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 is about Christ, the king, the Christ we have been singing about tonight. I mentioned last week, that many times the structure of the psalm carries something of the message of the psalm. We saw that in Psalm chapter 1, how the, the structure really focuses on the center, 
The center of Psalm 1 says, In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. That was the heart of the psalm. And then on each side of that was a picture of the righteous, a picture of the wicked, and a description of the righteous, a description of the wicked. A well-structured psalm pointing to the center. Psalm 2 is also a carefully constructed, well-structured psalm. Psalm 2 is a psalm of four balanced stanzas. Four stanzas of three lines, three verses each. Uh, I love preaching on the psalms because as you study them, in many ways the outline of the sermon arises from the text itself. That's why we have four points tonight, because there are four stanzas in this psalm. And these stanzas also are well-balanced. The first stanza, verses 1, 2, and 3, is a challenge from the kings of the earth against God's anointed. That is balanced by the last stanza, which is a warning to the kings of the earth about God's anointed. Those middle two, the second stanza, stanza speaks about God's anointed, and in the third, the anointed speaks of God's promises to him. So we're going to look at Psalm 2. A psalm about Christ the King. A psalm about the reign of God's anointed. That, that King foolishly challenged, firmly established, divinely chosen, and finally wisely acknowledged. Verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Why do the nations rage? And there's almost a sense of, of wonder or amazement. Who do these nations think they are? That they can stand against God's anointed. Don't they know that this standing will be in vain? They cannot stand. They are foolishly challenging God's king. Why in the world would they do that? We see already that, that theme of the two ways, those who challenge the kingship of Christ, those who acknowledge the kingship of Christ. Already at the beginning, beginning of this psalm, why would, the nations, why would the nations rage against him and the people's plot? Because it is in vain. Foolish to stand against God's anointed king. And yet that battle against the kingship of Jesus Christ has been going on throughout history. That battle began all the way back in the Garden of Eden, where we were told the seed of the woman would be at enmity with the seed of the serpent, and the battle lines were drawn. Those battle lines manifested themselves in Cain and Abel, both bringing sacrifices to God, one obediently, one not obediently. The two ways, the two paths. We saw that in, in the conflict between Moses and Pharaoh. Moses, God's anointed, and Pharaoh, the king of the world. And how they would be in conflict with each other, but God would use Moses to bring his people out. Pharaoh would, 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 would protest in vain. No one can stand against God's anointed. Of course, we see that most perfectly in Jesus 
and, and the enemy, Satan, when Satan comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. He says to Jesus, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world, the world standing against Christ, the anointed king. But Christ overcomes. Ongoing enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. An enmity that continues still today. We must not forget that the world, the world is no friend to grace. The world will do whatever it can to stop the spread of the gospel. The fundamental division in life, do we stand with Christ, the anointed, and his people in the church, or do we stand in the world? The battle lines are clearly drawn, and we may not make peace with the world. We either stand with the anointed, or we stand against the anointed. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. The world wants to burst the bonds and cast away their cords. What are those bonds? The bonds of the anointed, the law of God. Now, we know the law is something which is a blessing to us. The law is our source of freedom. But for the world, it seems like slavery. Let's throw off the yoke of God's law. And we see the world continuing to do that today. The world uh, redefining what a marriage is. The world even redefining what a man or a woman is. The world challenging the truth of when life begins. Let us throw off the bonds, the world says. But we know that those bonds are our freedom. They are our refuge. They are our safety. The world foolishly challenges God's anointed. God himself responds. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. How does God respond to the nations that would rise up against him? Is God, is God sitting back in heaven saying, oh no, I don't know what I'm going to do. The people are rising up. I'm so worried about what's going to happen next. That is not the response of God. The Lord sits in the heavens and he laughs. He holds them in derision. The folly of the wicked, thinking they might rise up against God's anointed, his kingdom which is firmly established. It might seem at times like, like the kingdom of the world is more powerful than the kingdom of God, but we know that's not the case. God and his anointed will always prevail. For his kingdom is established surely and firmly. We think of the conflict between David and Goliath. Goliath, the power of the world, seemingly strong and mighty. But David, who comes in the power of God. David, God's anointed to defeat the power of Goliath. We must never forget, while, while the world may seem strong, God himself is more strong. Although the world looks more powerful, it only appears that way from a human perspective. 
we remember it is in the church of Jesus Christ where true power is found. God, God is powerfully enthroned in the midst of his people. We read, then uh, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, my holy hill. God establishes his king, establishes his anointed, Jesus Christ, the newborn king. He dwells in Zion. He dwells in Jerusalem, that place where God has said, my name will dwell with my people. Jesus Christ comes and dwells with us and lives among us. And he remains among us, now not, not, not physically, but by the power of his Holy Spirit, continuing to dwell in the midst of his people. His, his throne is firmly established. He is God's warrior. He is God's victor. He is the one who rebukes Satan and has the final victory over him. Then we hear the anointed speak of God's promises, verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The me there, children, the Lord said to me, that's Jesus. The Lord said to me, my father said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus, the King. Jesus, God's anointed, chosen by the Father to come and be the King of His people. Not a, not a human king, not a physical kingdom, but an eternal king, a spiritual kingdom which manifests itself in the world around us. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Jesus Christ comes and the nations are his heritage. He comes with a message of the gospel, not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile, for the nation. He comes to reconcile the nations unto God, to bring them in. And as those nations do come in, it's, it's a fulfillment of Psalm 2. Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. The world comes in and they are embracing Jesus Christ, recognizing his kingship. That's the glory of our king. So powerful, so great that he can change hearts. He can bring dead men to life and give us new life in him. The power of this, of this divinely chosen king. Verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Yes, the nations will be brought in and embrace Jesus Christ. But for those who don't, for those who refuse, they will stand under his judgment. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In the end, those who refuse to acknowledge King Jesus will perish. They will either, the nations will either acknowledge Jesus, embracing him, loving him as their Lord and as their king, 
Or they will be forced to, in fear, acknowledge Psalm 2 was right. Jesus is God's anointed, and the nations do plot in vain. In the end, when Christ comes again, every knee will bow, either willingly and joyfully before him, embracing him as our king, or in fear, in terror, recognizing he is the true king, and the ways of the world have come to nothing. Two ways. The way of the righteous, embracing God's anointed. The way of the wicked, being struck with a rod of iron and dashed to pieces. So the psalmist ends. He began by speaking of the nations. He ends with speaking to the nations. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. The psalm began with amazement. Why do you plot in vain? Why are you doing this? Be wise. Don't follow the way of the fool. Don't follow the way of the wicked. Don't follow that path that leads to destruction. But hear the call. Hear the call to to embrace the true king, God's anointed king, the king of kings, the newborn king of whom we sing. Be wise, O kings. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Embrace him as your king, as your Lord and Savior, and and serve him. Recognize his kingship, his authority over you. Serve the Lord. Fear the Lord. Rejoice with trembling. The psalm finishes up, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Kiss the son is a reference to submit to him. Submit to his kingship. Submit to his authority. Submit to his rule in your life. Recognize the reign of God's anointed, Jesus Christ, the newborn King. Submit yourselves to Him. This psalm is is a call to recognize Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. And it's that same call that goes out today. If you are living in the ways of the world, If you are with the nations trying to plot and scheme against God, if you are throwing off the law, you are doing so in vain. There is no life down that path. That that path leads only to destruction. No, the call comes to us once again today. Embrace God's anointed. Embrace His chosen King. Embrace the one who rules justly and righteously. God himself calls us to to return away from the ways of the world, to embrace Jesus Christ, and to know the truth of, of celebrating Jesus Christ, the newborn King. For this is the way of blessing. Notice how the psalm ends. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. One of the reasons I say that Psalm 1 and 2 are the introduction to the Psalter, both of them, is because we see a beautiful, it's called an inclusio. Look how Psalm 1 begins. Blessed is the man. Look how Psalm 2 ends. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
The two ways of life are connected through the one King, Jesus Christ. Either we embrace him as God's anointed our king, or we rage against him and feel that that wrath of the iron rod. Do you know this king? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you submitted to him and, and rejoiced that you can serve him with fear and rejoice before him, willingly, willingly bowing the knee to this King Jesus Christ. Oh, may God help us to to truly appreciate the reign of his anointed, the newborn King. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we praise you for your Son, our King Jesus Christ. You rule all things through him, and he rules righteously. He is the King and head of his church. He is the King over all creation. Lord God, if we are still tonight siding with the nations, may we see the foolishness of that endeavor. Help us to be wise, O God, to kiss the Son, to submit to Him, and to know the blessedness of belonging to You. Hear our prayer, for Jesus' sake. Amen.